This is Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like fucking snakes. And I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Treblack, Reefer Sutherland, Loop Fly Talker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troller of trolls, the prince of petty, Steve G. It's October 24th, 2021, and the last episode I had, I was very irate, I was heated, I was flabbergasted, goddammit, and that was the sound of a man that was taking a cold shower for a week, and I was very pissed, and you know, I, I feel like the people who listen to that episode need some context. They need a backstory. What is the premise of this frustration? Well, so I really don't like snakes. I hate bitch ass niggas. I hate niggas in general. And I wasn't going to do this, uh, but fuck it. And I, I, I don't care because this, this person is a bitch. And so. I have a roommate, or let's say I had a roommate, and for every month, I would pay this motherfucker in cash app. I would send him my share of the rent every month, and uh, over time, I just realized that this person is not a stand-up individual, and uh, some things have transpired over the past couple months, and times got hard for this certain individual. I'm not going to say his name. I'll at least give him that much but this motherfucker's my roommate and he fell on some hard times couldn't pay his share of the rent so we never got evicted thank god we're still here but I noticed that some things just don't add up last weekend this motherfucker flew a bitch in and to pay for a airplane ticket and you're struggling paying rent where's the money coming from bruh where is the money coming from and why ain't we got no hot water so I asked this motherfucker why ain't we got no hot water I'm not about to be walking around with funky ass balls and taking cold showers what the fuck it's October this would have been more formidable if this was June July I don't know August but nah nigga we in October so punk ass bitch nigga looks me in my eye and tells me oh man I don't know I paid it man the gas company they messed up and he just left it at that and immediately I knew this nigga was lying to my face looked me dead in the eyes actually he couldn't even look me in the eye because he couldn't even get his lie together or come up with it quick enough but that's what he told me I paid it and it just don't add up if you paid it nigga we should have some hot water so, yeah, like I said, I, I knew immediately this nigga was lying to me. And when I got a hold of the gas company, because you know I'm going to check for receipts, goddammit. When I called the gas company, I asked them immediately. So, the, the purpose of this cutoff of our hot water is be due to non-payment, correct? And she is, she says, you are correct. I knew it. How about they gave this motherfucker a notice in August... August 16th and they said if you don't rectify this we're going to cut this shit off they told this nigga this in August 16th and I get it you fell on hard times whatever but how the fuck did you pay for an air flight how the fuck how sway how does it become possible make it make sense Chris Christopherson Jesus please And the gas bill wasn't even that much. It was less than $100. I don't think that flight ticket was under $100. I promise you. Bet it wasn't. But the bitch got here. She got here somehow. Motherfuckers put their coins and nickels together to make that happen. All the while, we ain't even got no fucking hot water. Cold showers and funky balls. sex smelling like cheese from up under fucking gouda cheese so yeah I was very heated pissed 
got into a confrontation because I don't like liars, especially if I'm laying my head down in this place. I'm going to need the motherfuckers in my circle, in my circle, in my circumference to be stand up. And as a reminder from the Department of the Redundancy Department, before I disrespected a motherfucker, please believe I let that motherfucker make it one, two, three, four, couple times before I push that lever. Please believe. Before I disrespected a motherfucker, I was giving that motherfucker respect that wasn't warranted, that wasn't even deserved, wasn't earned. No stripes, cuz. None. But I let motherfuckers make it. So by the time I speak on some shit, please believe a lot of fuck shit had already transpired by that point. Please believe that. And a lot of fuck shit has transpired. And the bitch you flew down, that's why you ain't even get none, cuz. Cuz I call that karma. I, I like to think that the universe takes care of motherfuckers. Expeditiously. Motherfuckers get what they give. And that's exactly what happened. You ain't get none. You ain't give shit. How the fuck you gonna fly a bitch down only to take cold showers in motherfucking October? Nigga, make it make sense, Jim Carrey Jesus. The fuck? So now, after the confrontation, this motherfucker threatened to take me off the lease. And I told that cocksucking son of a bitch, nigga, that's not how this fucking works. I'm on the lease. I'm on the fucking lease. You just can't take me off. I get it. You were here longer than me, but nigga, I'm on the fucking lease and I'm paying rent. And I went to the office to make sure that this bitch ass fuckface nigga can't take me off the lease. And they told me, yeah, bitch ass fuckface nigga can't take you off the lease. Those weren't their exact words, but you get the gist. So when I went to the office, and they told me that bitch ass fuckface nigga couldn't take me off the lease. They also said that bitch ass nigga fuckface came to the office before me. I knew he did. He told me he was when we had the confrontation. And I'm sure he asked if he could take me off the lease. And they looked at him stupid as they should have and told him nigga, that's not how this fucking works. The man is on the lease. So. Now you've taken yourself off the lease, I'm still on it, and you've already shown me that if you could fuck with my life, play with my life, you could. If he could have taken me off the lease, off of a confrontation that can't be talked about and understand, understood, he's already shown me that he can't have those kind of grown adult conversations, so that's why I was pissed. We were already at a point of return. And you've, like I said, you've already shown me that if you could have taken me off the leash, you would have. And because of that, nigga, don't speak to me. Don't fucking talk. Don't look in my direction, nigga. Persona non grata you are. I told that motherfucker, I'm here with a purpose. This place is closer to my job. I, it's quiet. Nobody fucks with anybody. I like it here. I ain't going no fucking where. Now, you keep doing fuck shit, and as long as you live here, I'm going to speak out on the fuck shit. Now, if you don't like it, you can bounce. And if I really wanted to be petty, like I said, I'm on the lease, you're not, and your things are still here. Nigga, you are on borrowed time. Get your things out of here expeditiously. If I really wanted to be petty, really, really, really wanted to be petty, I could have the nigga shit waiting for him on the motherfucking lawn. You ain't own this lease, nigga. Who's this stranger? What are wh whose belongings are these? I don't fucking who, uh, if I really wanted to, but I'm not quite built like that. I haven't gotten to that point yet. I pride myself on petty, but there are fucking borders to this shit. There's a, there's got to be an off switch somewhere. I can't go full Curtis Jackson with the petty. I can't. I won't. No. I do believe in a god. So there's the context and, and there's a lot of other little uh, intricate details that I left out, but I'm letting this man make it on this goddamn podcast this good Sunday afternoon. Oh, and by the way, bitch ass nigga fuckface is taking himself off the lease. 
So that's that's probably the best solution. Cause like I said, cuz I ain't going no fucking where. I put my name on that agreement, on that lease agreement that says I'm going to be here until the end date. I don't switch up on shit. I don't switch up on contract agreements. I don't switch up on my homies. I don't switch up with my family. I don't switch up with my people at all. That's a game you play, bitch ass nigga fuckface. Now get your shit expeditiously. Over the week, I saw the new Halloween Kills, and damn, it killed my patience. I just can't buy into these slasher flicks like I used to when I was younger. Um, Mike Myers never impressed me. He doesn't move quick, and somehow he just gets away and he keeps coming back. He, he moves at a, steady pl- at a steady pace, and in the opening scene, spoiler alert, in the opening scene, a fucking cop is shooting at him. And he's missing. And Mike Myers is just walking away. They're in the same fucking bedroom. And the cop is shooting at this nigga. And he's not even... Mike isn't catching a slug of any sort. I was immediately pissed. uh, But hey, it's the new Halloween Kills. A lot of people are talking about it. I'm going to continue watching this shit. And man, I just don't fucking get it. Mike Myers is catching bodies. They shooting this nigga. They slapping him with frying pans. They beating this nigga with bats, uh, barbed wire bats, and the motherfucker keeps coming back. What is the secret? How does he stay alive for over damn near 40 years? He's not Freddy where he's imaginative and he can turn into different things and he's got all these magical powers. And I mean, he's a regular human being. He was an abandoned little boy that grew up and somehow bulletproof they're beating the fuck out of Mike and this nigga is still catching bodies I guess I have to buy into the whole slasher deal to fully appreciate this shit but I just can't I don't know I'm just too much of a a, a skeptic about all of this shit even the Freddies I can't really get with anymore But I watched the shit. Halloween Kills, I guess I, you could enjoy it if you like motherfuckers catching bodies and uh, you can buy into that type of shit. And also I saw the documentary on HBO Max on Brittany Murphy. Uh, what a sad story, man. Brittany Murphy was a beast. She was in 8 Mile. She was in a lot of shows in the 90s. Uh, she was in Clueless. She was in Sister Sister. Uh, even King of the Hill. She was the voice actor for Luann. And uh, a very tragic story. I remember when she died. Um, and I mean, I, it's one of those things where I, I don't think we're going to get the full reason because a lot of people were speculating that her her curmudgeon and disheveled looking husband, uh, who I don't know, he somehow pulled Brittany Murphy and had mind control over her. Uh, a lot of people were speculating that he killed her, but he would end up dying years later. Also on HBO Max was a documentary on the Capitol building getting stormed by those fucking funky honkies. Um, And I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about honkies. I'm not talking about Caucasians. I'm talking about honkies. Yes, that happened. And it was a plethora of white people storming those fucking buildings. Uh, A plethora of honkies, if you will, storming that building. It's called Four Hours at the Capitol. And, uh, you know, it's it's just speaks. It shouts white privilege to have the audacity to think that this was okay to talk that much shit to an officer to their face, beat on an officer, uh, you know, take their weapons, take their shields and use it on them. I mean, meanwhile, my brothers and sisters out here like shit. We just want to make it home safe every day. We try to avoid the motherfuckers and they come looking for us. These motherfuckers came to the to the Capitol building in droves, in droves, like to even have the audacity to feel that empowered, to think that you're going to do this and still live. Man, it must be nice. 
It must be fucking nice. I, I couldn't imagine. I'm going to ask Santa this Christmas. Can I have a little bit of that white privilege? Santa, can I? But those motherfuckers did that shit. And happily, some of them got arrested. Not enough of them. All those fuckers should have got arrested. And, and one bitch got shot. One bitch got so bout it, bout it, and highly and mighty, and she started talking big shit, trying to bust through the windows, and got popped in the fucking face. That is the sound of the smallest violin right there. You hear that? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, is that how it goes? But yeah, four hours at the Capitol. Check that motherfucking shit out. It's a, I mean, I think that was more horrific than Halloween Kills. Because that shit is real life. Now, on Friday, Wale releases his latest album, Falarin 2. It's 15 songs, 47 minutes and 50 seconds. And uh, I was quite impressed. It's got features from J. Cole, uh, production from Cool and Dre. It's got Rick Ross, Chris Brown, Jamie Foxx, Sean Stockman of Boys to Men, uh, Yellow Beezy, uh, Ant Clemens, Maxo Cream, and uh, I, I'd say I picked about four tracks out of this, out of, out of these 15 songs. You know, out of the people in his uh, graduation class or or his, of, of his ilk, uh, the the J. Coles, the Kendricks. I mean, he's the guy I, I check the least for, and that doesn't. I, I don't want to disparage his skill because he's an MC. The man can spit. Uh, he is one of the best, I feel, at doing those R&B collaborations, those hip-hop R&B collaborations, uh, which I tend to abhor overall. But when it, he does it, they're at least tolerable. At least. You know, the song he has with J. Cole is called Poke It Out. I like that one. Uh, Tiffany Nikes is the next track. That one was good. The one with Rick Ross, as you can imagine, is dope as fuck. It's called Light Years. Um, but like I said, I, I check for Wale the least out of his contemporaries. Um, because even though he's one of the best at doing those R&B collaborations, he is heavy on those R&B collaborations. And I, I feel like women, would he, he's more of a the MC for women. He's like Lifetime as an MC. Lifetime Network, the MC. Um, I mean, what can you do? A nigga can't whoop my ass. I don't care. But, uh, yeah, man. He, he's still a good MC. And uh, if, if you like good shit, good hip-hop, man, check out Falarin too. Now, we've now discovered our contestants for this year's World Series. It's going to be those Houston Astros against the Atlanta Braves. And, uh, you know, two places, two cities that I've lived in, uh, one I used to live in uh, and one that I currently live in. Um, I, I I have no dog in the race. I mean, the Braves did beat my Indians back in 95 and the Astros, they recently won one in uh, 2017. Um, it's also been heavily rumored that the Astros cheated to get that in 2017. But, uh, you know, to the victor go the spoils. Uh, it's kind of hard for me right now to go for any Houston team because I'm kind of scarred from my last couple years living there. I felt like niggas didn't want me to win in that goddamn city. So why the fuck would I want motherfuckers winning in that motherfucking city? Whether you're a Rocket, a Texan, I'd never go for a fucking Texan because they're Cowboys fucking haters. Go Cowboys. Or even the Astros. And I mean, yeah, the Braves, they they beat my Indians. The, the one World Series they won. Out of all those uh, appearances going into the last dance throughout that decade, out of all of them, the one time they do win, it's against my team. So I, I do feel a certain way about that, but I, I do like the fact that Hank Aaron used to play for the Braves. Uh, I like the history with Ted Turner, uh, another Ohio boy from Cincinnati. And I mean, the Braves, they were America's team. But like I said, I, I really... If, if I had to pick a side, I'm probably going to go with the Braves. Um, I got a lot of friends who are Astros fans. Uh, I, I know some people, some of my buddies that are Braves fans, and especially living down here now. I work with some. 
So, uh, yeah, I'd be leaning more towards that side. And the NBA season is back, and, you know, people just can't wait to shit on LeBron. They, they lost their home opener. They lost uh, to the Phoenix Suns, and people are already causing, you know, calling for that emergency button. And, you know, I, there was a rift between Anthony Davis, the Brow, and Dwight Howard. They got into a confrontation on the bench and you know people are already shouting that there's a soap opera but hey man keep that october energy in april we're in our first month they're gonna figure some shit out i mean they got the brow and brawn the white dressbrook i can't even call him the mike tyson of point guards anymore i can't even call you uh, Russell Westwolf. I mean, these uh, mystery machine outfits that you've been you've been wearing over the years. It's just like, hey, man, at this point, you need to get a championship. Fuck all this Vogue and L magazine bullshit. You got something to prove, Russ, and I'm still pulling for you. But you got to stop those dresses, Dressbrook. Curry, everybody loves Curry. He's been going on a on a fucking tear. Still don't like the man. Uh, they've been talking about the 75th list, the all-time greatest list of the 75th anniversary this year, and quite a few people got snubbed. T Mac, Dwight, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. I feel like Clay should be in there. One of the best jump shots, one of the best purest forms, the backspin, the hold, the release. I feel like all of those people I named and Vince Carter. And if Anthony didn't get injured, oh, and Grant Hill. I feel like all of those people should be replacing some of those old timey ass 1950s fucking Dave DeBusher, who the fuck? Some of those guys shouldn't have made the cut. But what the fuck do I know? I'm just a nigga with a podcast. Now, all things October 24th. In 1973, John Lennon sues the U.S. government to admit FBI is tapping his phone. 1978, Keith Richards is convicted of heroin possession in Toronto. 1979, Guinness Book of Records present Paul McCartney with a rhodium disc as an all-time best-selling singer-songwriter. 1985, the Crush Groove soundtrack is released on the same day that Don't Stop Rapping, Two Shorts debut is released. 1986, Soul Man debuts in theaters and man it's about a white guy who lives his life as a black man it's it's the 80s and they're doing blackface uh, that, that's my synopsis of that movie i actually have that on dvd just because of the shitty premise uh don't we all like a little mess in 1993 halloween havoc 93 airs on pay-per-view for WCW. 1994, Gullah Island and Gargoyles premiere on television. 1995, All We Got Is Us, released by Onyx. Uh, Groove Theory released their debut album, Groove Theory. Fat Joe releases Jealous One's Envy. And Smells Like Children, Marilyn Manson EP, is released. Uh, in 2000, The Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park is released. In Hybrid Theory, I never was a Linkin Park fan like that. Uh, they had some cool tracks when they first came out, but they just became too repetitive to me. But Hybrid Theory received a lot of positive reviews from critics upon the release, and it peaked at number two on the U.S. Billboard 200. It's certified uh, platinum 12 times by the RIAA. It reached the top 10 in 15 other countries and sold 27 million copies worldwide, it, it, making it the best-selling debut album since Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction in 87, and it's the best-selling rock album of the 21st century. At the 44th Grammy Awards, it won Best Hard Rock Performance for Crawling. Uh, the releases from that album were One Step Closer, Crawling, Paper Cut, and In the End. But uh, yeah, man, uh, like I said, they were just two elevator new rock for me. In uh, 2003, Radio, starring Cuba Gooding Jr., debuts in theaters. Uh, you don't go full retard. Word to Robert Downey. Uh, and on that same day, 2003, Scary Movie 3 is released. And at this point, the Wayans family wanted nothing to do with this. Uh, they basically wrote out the original 
mind, the, the brainchild, uh, the, the person who formed the brainchild that is Scary Movie. Uh, I mean, that's corporate meddling for you. In 2008, Barack Obama airs a 30-minute infomercial that airs on CBS, NBC, Fox, BET, Univision, MSNBC, and TV One. The infomercial was seen by 33.6 million viewers, and he would eventually become our president. Uh, in 2011, Tower Heist debuts in theaters. Um, never cared to see that. In 2014, Run the Jewels 2 uh, is released by Run the Jewels. Uh, in 2014, on that same day, despite a new season already filmed and ready to air, TLC announces it as canceled reality series Here Comes Honey Boo Boo. The cancellation comes one day after TMZ reports that Mama June Shannon, mother of the title character and former child booty beauty pageant participant Alana Honey Boo Boo Thompson was dating a registered sex offender who had served a prison sentence in Georgia for child molestation and that a victim of the offender who was eight years old at the time of the incident is a relative of Shannon's. Wow. My grandma really loved that show too. Uh, in 2018, a series of suspicious packages are sent to numerous individuals that are associated with the Democratic Party, including Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, or those with liberal views and causes. CNN is also among the many targets that also received the packages at its New York studios, addressed to former CIA director John O. Brennan, who now works at NBC News and MSNBC, but has appeared as a commentator on CNN in the past, and another to former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. The Time Warner Center was evacuated, with shows based there taking their crews outdoors to broadcast. The investigation is being tre treated a federal crime and has been condemned by both the media and political parties. The NYPD said the device sent to CNN appears to be a crude pipe bomb. A third package was sent to its Atlanta headquarters later that week. A suspect was arrested in Florida on October 26 and charged with five federal crimes. Uh, 2018. Uh, what a shitty year. I didn't like it. But more important than that, I'm going to be talking about Smashing Pumpkins' breakout album, Smash album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, released on October 24th, 1995. Today in sports history, in 1939, Joe DiMaggio wins the American League MVP. In 1957, the Cincinnati Redlegs declined the move to Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City. Joy Z. In 1963, Sandy Koufax is the unanimous winner of the Cy Young Award. In 1974, Billy Martin is named the American League Manager of the Year for the Texas Rangers. In 1978, the Toronto Maple Leafs set their own team record of 28 points versus the New York Islanders. In 1979, Billy Martin punches a marshmallow salesman and he puts his job in jeopardy. In 1982, Steffi Graf plays her first pro tennis match. In 1988, New York Islander and NHL high scorer Mike Bossy retires. In 1992, the World Series is held. The Toronto Blue Jays beat the Atlanta Braves 4-3 in Game 6 at the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium to win their first ever title. The MVP is Toronto catcher Pat Borders. In 1996, the last game at Atlanta County Fulton Stadium is held. The Yankees win a record eighth straight road postseason win with no losses. And in 2004, 10 people, including NASCAR driver Ricky Hendrick and four family members, are killed in a plane crash near Martinsville Speedway in Virginia. The plane was owned by NASCAR team Hendrick Motorsports. And that was my Half Fast Sports Report. Coming up, we're going over Smashing Pumpkins' album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, released on this day, October 24th, 1995. We'll be black after these messages. Today's birthdays for October 24th. Happy 32nd birthday to Swedish YouTuber PewDiePie. Also turning 32 today is American baseball player Eric Hosmer. Happy 35th birthday today to the sixth god himself, Drake. 
Turning 40 years old today is Singaporean-American model, actress, and singer, Tila Tequila. Happy 41st birthday to American singer, songwriter, producer, and actress, Monica. Happy 47th birthday to American football player, Corey Dillon. Turning 61 today is American actor, B.D. Wong. Happy 62nd birthday to American journalist and historian of wrestling, Dave Meltzer. Turning 78 today is Scottish-American wrestler and manager, Bill Dundee. Happy 82nd birthday to American actor F. Murray Abraham. And happy 85th birthday to English singer, songwriter, bass player, and producer of the band Rolling Stones, Bill Wyman. That's half of a bitch, maybe half of a man. That's half of a can't, well, that's half of a can. That's half of a can't, well, that's half of a can. Hot to touch, get open. Too hot to touch, get focused. Too bad for kids, get loking. You too dirty, I guess you're soaking. Now see we searching, looking for another plan. Maybe in this pouring land. I'm back to basics, basics. where I am. I hear the beats, they trapping. I hear the beats, keep tapping. I hear the beats, I'm lapping. All the MCs that they rapped in. I take you back to basics. Two turntables of mic in a basement. I take you back, no tracing. Two turntables of mic and I'm facing hard roads and hard times. I ain't looking for the streets, you got niggas with hard minds. Searching for the gold, maybe for a chain. Searching for a black bitch, white chicken brain. So we boom the bap and bap. Boom. All I need is a cat and we give me some rooms Where I can freestyle over the beat and go crazy You niggas are dumb and full gazy Too hot to touch, get open Too hot to touch, get focused Too bad for kids, get loking You too dirty, I guess you're soaking Now see we searching, looking for another plan Maybe in this foreign land I'm back to basics, is where I am Peace in the Middle East, peace in the streets Peace to my cousin, resting six feet deep Peace to the lost loved ones who deceased. Peace to the young shorties who we must reach. After them and teach, show them how to think, show them how to live and the proper food to eat. Responsibility is what they all need, right? And more people throwing up more peace signs. Taking money and invest in a home, but he can't cause he spent all of his money on his teeth. Some just wanna invest in the chrome for when times get rocky like Sylvester Stallone. And I'm serious, Jones, like serious Jones. I'ma stand up, act delirious, homes. And if you got trace styles, I'm furious, homes. The essays that say, F it, you die, homes. Now see you searching, looking for another plan. Maybe in this foreign land. I'm back to basics, that's where I am. Now see you searching, looking for another plan. Maybe in this foreign land. I'm back to basics, that's where I am. A special mention to those no longer with us. This past Monday, we lost American statesman, diplomat, and four-star general Colin Powell. Born Colin Luther Powell on April 5, 1937 in New York City, he also served as the 65th United States Secretary of State from 2001 to 2005. He was the first African-American Secretary of State and he served as the 16th United States National Security Advisor from 1987 to 1989 and as the 12th Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff from 1989 to 1993. Raised in the South Bronx, his parents Luther and Maud Powell immigrated to the United States from Jamaica. He was educated in the New York City Public Schools and received a bachelor's degree in geology from the City College of New York. He also participated in ROTC at CCNY and received a commission as an Army Second Lieutenant upon graduation in June of 1958. He was a professional soldier for 35 years, during which time he held many command and staff positions and rose to the rank of four-star general. 
he was commander of the U.S. Army Forces Command in 1989. Powell's last military assignment from October 1989 to September 1993 was as Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman, the highest military position in the Department of Defense. During this time, he oversaw 28 crises, including the invasion of Panama in 1989 and Operation Desert Storm in the Persian Gulf War against Iraq in 1990 and 1991. He formulated the Powell Doctrine, which limits American military action unless it satisfies criteria regarding American national security interests, overwhelming force, and widespread public support. He was the 65th United States Secretary of State, serving under Republican President George W. Bush. As Secretary of State, Powell gave a speech before the United Nations regarding the rationale for the Iraq War. He later admitted that the speech contained substantial inaccuracies. He was forced to resign after Bush was re-elected in 2004. In 1995, Powell wrote his autobiography, My American Journey, and then in retirement, another book, It Worked For Me, Lessons in Life and Leadership in 2012. He pursued a career as a public speaker, addressing audiences across the country and abroad. Before his appointment as Secretary of State, Powell chaired America's Promise. In the 2016 United States presidential election, Powell, who was not a candidate, received three electoral votes from Washington for the office of President of the United States. Powell won numerous U.S. and foreign military awards and decorations. His civilian awards include the Presidential Medal of Freedom, twice, the Congressional Gold Medal, the Presidential Citizens Medal, and the Secretary's Distinguished Service Award. On October 18, 2021, Powell, who was being treated for multiple myeloma, died at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center of complications from COVID-19 at the age of 84. He had been vaccinated, but his myeloma compromised his immune system. He also had early-stage Parkinson's disease. President Joe Biden and four of the five living former presidents issued statements calling Powell as an American hero. Donald Trump disparaged him as having made big mistakes and as a classic rhino. Last Tuesday, we lost American voice actor and radio personality Jack Angel. Born on October 24, 1930 in Modesto, California, he provided voiceovers for animation and video games. Angel had voiced characters in shows by Hasbro and Hanna-Barbera such as Super Friends, The Transformers, and G.I. Joe, and was involved in numerous productions by DreamWorks, Disney, and Pixar. Before becoming involved with voiceover work, Angel was initially a disc jockey for radio stations, namely KMPC and KFI. Angel was married twice. He and his first wife, Barbara Angel, divorced in 1980. He married talent agent owner Arlene Thornton in 1984. Together they have three children. They lived in Studio City in Malibu, California. Jack Angel died on October 19, 2021 at the age of 90, five days before his 91st birthday. Last Friday, we lost American actor Peter Scaleri. Born Peter Thomas Scaleri on September 12, 1955 in New Rochelle, New York, he's best known for his roles as Michael Harris on Newhart from 1984 to 1990 and Henry Desmond on Bosom Buddies from 1980 to 1982. Scaleri received three Emmy nominations for his work in Newhart and won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series for his recurring role as Ted Horvath on Girls in 2016. Scaleri was an avid juggler and occasionally showcased his talents on television, like in the 1982 Circus of the Stars and on talk show appearances. Scaleri died from leukemia in Manhattan on October 22, 2021 at age 66. He had been diagnosed with the disease two years earlier. The Big Bopper was an American musician, songwriter, and disc jockey. Born Giles Perry Richardson Jr. on October 24, 1930 in Sabine Pass, Texas, he's best known for his compositions Chantilly Lace and White Lightning, the latter of which became George Jones' first number one hit in 1959. Richardson was killed in a plane crash in Clear Lake, Iowa in 1959, along with fellow musicians Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, and the pilot Roger Peterson. The accident was famously referred to as the day the music died in Don McLean's 1971 song, American Pie. 
With the success of Chantilly Lace, Richardson took time off from KTRM Radio and joined Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and Dion in the Belmonts for a winter dance party tour starting on January 23, 1959. On the 11th night of the tour, February 2, 1959, they played at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa. That night, Holly chartered an airplane from Dwyer Flying Service in Mason City, Iowa, intending to fly himself and his bandmates Waylon Jennings and Tommy Alsop to their next tour venue in Moorhead, Minnesota. The musicians had been traveling by bus for over a week and had already broken down twice. They were, twi they were tired and they had not been paid yet, and all of their clothes were dirty. The charter flight would allow them to avoid another arduous bus ride and arrive early before the Moorhead show, do their laundry, and get some rest. Local pilot Roger Peterson of Dwyer Flying Service had agreed to take them. The weather forecast for the Clear Lake area was 18 Fahrenheit that night with moderate gusty winds and light scattered snow, and Peterson was fatigued from a 17-hour workday, but he agreed to fly the trip. Frankie Sardo went to meet the crowd while Holly went into one of the dressing rooms at the Surf Ballroom where he notified Alsop and Jennings that he had chartered a plane to take them to Fargo, North Dakota. On a friendly wager, Valens flipped a coin with Alsop for his seat on the plane and won. Meanwhile, J.P. Richardson was suffering from the flu and was complaining that the bus was too cold and comfortable for him, so Jennings voluntarily surrendered his seat. Upon hearing that his bandmates had given away their plane seats, Holly joked, well, I hope your old bus freezes up again. Jennings jokingly replied, well, I hope your old plane crashes. Those words haunted Jennings for the rest of his life. The Clear Lake show ended at around midnight, and Holly, Valens, and Richardson drove to the Mason City Airport, loaded their luggage, and boarded the red and white single-engine Beechcraft Bonanza. Peterson received clearance from the control tower around 12.55 a.m. on February 3rd, 1959, and they took off, but the plane remained airborne for only a few minutes. It slammed into the ground at full throttle shortly after takeoff, about five miles outside Mason City in the middle of farm country. The reason remains unknown, but Peterson may have lost his visual reference and thought that he was ascending while he was actually descending. The right wing tip of the Beechcraft Bonanza sliced into the frozen ground and sent the aircraft cartwheeling across the cleared cornfield at approximately 170 miles per hour. Holly, Valens, and Richardson were ejected from the plane on impact and likely tumbled along with the wreckage across the icy field before the mangled plane came to rest against a barbed wire fence while Peterson's body remained entangled in the main mass of plane wreckage. The bodies of Holly and Valens came to rest several feet away from the wreckage on open ground, while Richardson was thrown approximately 100 feet beyond the wreckage, across the fence line, and into the next cornfield. All three died instantly of massive head and chest injuries. Richardson was only 28 years old. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1995, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness was released. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is the third studio album by American alternative rock band The Smashing Pumpkins. It was produced by frontman Billy Corgan with Flood and Alan Mulder. The 28-track album was released as a two-disc CD and triple LP. The album features a wide array of styles as well as greater musical input from bassist Darcy Retzky and second guitarist James Eha. Propelled by the album's lead single, Bullet with Butterfly Wings, it debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200, with first week sales of 246,500 units. To date, it remains the band's only album to top the Billboard 200. It spawned five more singles, 1979, Zero, Tonight Tonight, The Promotional Muzzle, and 33, over the course of 1996 and was certified diamond by the RIAA, equivalent to more than 10 million units sold. Praised by critics for its ambition and scope, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness earned the band seven Grammy Award nominations in 1997, including Album of the Year and Record of the Year, as well as nine MTV Music Video nominations, eight of which were for Tonight Tonight, including Video of the Year. Not only did they all become hits on both mainstream rock and modern rock stations, but Bullet with Butterfly Wings, 1979, Tonight Tonight, and 33 also became the band's first top 40 hits, crossing over to pop radio stations. 
The recording session saw a wealth of productivity. Dozens of fully completed songs were cut from the album. It would turn up on later releases. A box set released in November 1996 titled The Aeroplane Flies High compiled the promotional singles from the album and featured approximately 30 fully completed songs from the Melancholy Sessions, which had not made the final cut for the album, including one track, Pasticcio Medley, which contained more than 70 short snippets of songs in various states of completion. Both Melancholy and The Aeroplane Flies High later saw reissues, which included even more tracks from the sessions. After the 13-month tour in support of the Smashing Pumpkins' second album, Siamese Dream, Billy Corgan immediately began writing songs for the band's next record. From the outset, the band intended the new record to be a double album, partly inspired by the Beatles' White Album. Corgan said, We almost had enough material to make Siamese Dream a double album. With this new one, I really like the notion that we would create a wider scope in which to put other kinds of material we are writing. Corgan felt that the band's musical approach was running its course, and wanted the band to approach the album as if it were its last. Corgan described the album at the time to the music press as the wall for Generation X, a comparison with Pink Floyd's 1979 album, one of the highest selling and best known concept albums of all time. The band decided to forego working with Butch Vig, who had produced the group's previous albums, and selected Flood and Alan Mulder as co-producers. Corgan explained, to be completely honest, I think it was a situation where we'd become so close to Butch that it started to work to our disadvantage. I just feel we had to force the situation sonically and take ourselves out of normal pumpkin recording mode. I didn't want to repeat past pumpkin work. Flood immediately pushed the band to change its recording practices. Corgan later said, Flood felt like the band he would see live wasn't really captured on record. In April of that year, the band began recording in a rehearsal space instead of entering the studio straight away. At these sessions, the band recorded rough rhythm tracks with Flood. Originally designed to create a rough draft for the record, the rehearsal space sessions ended up yielding much of the new album's rhythm section parts. Flood also insists that the band set aside time each day devoted to jamming or songwriting, practices the band had never engaged in before during recording sessions. Corgan said working like that kept the whole process very interesting, kept it from becoming a grind. Corgan sought to eliminate the tension that permeated the Siamese Dream recording sessions. Corgan said regarding the problems with recording Siamese Dream, to me the biggest offender was the insidious amounts of time that everyone spends waiting for guitar parts to be overdubbed. There were literal weeks where no one had anything to do but sit and wait. The band decided to counter idleness by using two recording rooms at the same time. This tactic allowed Corrigan to work on vocals and song arrangements in one room while recording was done in the other. During these sessions, Flood and Corrigan would work in one room as Mulder, guitarist James Eha, and bassist Darcy Retsky worked in the second. Eha and Retsky had a much greater role in the recording of the album, unlike the prior albums where Corrigan was rumored to have recorded all the bass and guitar parts himself. James Eha commented about the recording sessions. The big change is that Billy is not being the big I do this, I do that. It's much better. The band arranged a lot of songs for this record, and the songwriting process was organic. The circumstances of the last record and the way that we worked was really bad. The songs of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness are intended to hang together conceptually, with the two halves of the album representing day and night. Despite this, Corgan has rejected the term concept album to describe it, and it was at the time described as more loose and vague than the band's previous records. However, Billy Corgan has also said that the album is based on the human condition of mortal sorrow. Corgan aimed the album's message at people aged 14 to 24 years, hoping to sum up all the things I felt as a youth but was never able to voice articulately. He summed up by stating, I'm waving goodbye to me in the rearview mirror, tying a knot around my youth and putting it under the bed. Musically, the album has been described as featuring alternative rock, grunge, alternative metal, and art rock. Its sprawling nature resulted in diverse music styles from song to song, contrasting what some critics felt was the one-dimensional flavor of the previous two albums. A much wider variety of instrumentation is used, such as piano, synthesizers, and drum loops, a live orchestra, and even salt shakers and scissors. Corgan has said that for the solo in Fuck You, an ode to no one, I played until my fingers saw blood. You can't play a weak guitar solo in such a propulsive song. 
It's got to be a, a tag style. He explains his method by saying, I put on the headphones and stand one foot away from the amp. I turn the amp up so loud that I literally have to play harder than the feedback because if I stop playing, even for an instant, the whole thing explodes. All but two songs on the album were written by Corrigan. The closing track from the first disc, Take Me Down, was written and sung by Eha, while the album's final track, Farewell and Goodnight, features lead vocals by all four band members, and according to the BMI database, was written solely by Eha, despite being credited on the album liner notes as being written by both Eha and Corrigan. Eha wrote additional songs during the making of the album, but they did not make the final cut. Corgan said in a 1995 Rolling Stone interview, there are some b-sides that James did that are really good, they just don't fit in the context of the album, and part of me feels bad, but over the seven years we've been together, the least uptight part of the band has been the music. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, an unusual feat for a double disc album that cost over $20. The album was certified diamond by the RIAA. The album received critical acclaim, Christopher John Farley of Time called the album the group's most ambitious and accomplished work yet. He also wrote, One gets the feeling that the band charged ahead of gut instincts. The sheer scope of the album, which is 28 songs, didn't allow for second guessing or contrivance. Time selected Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness as the best album of the year in its year-end best of 1995 list. Entertainment Weekly gave the album an A rating. Reviewer David Brown praised the group's ambition and wrote, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is more than just the work of a tortured, finicky pop obsessive. Corgan presents himself as one of the last true believers, someone for whom spewing out this much music results in some sort of high art for the ages. He doesn't seem concerned with persistent, alternate rock questions of selling out, and good for him. He's aiming for something bigger and all-conquering. IGN gave the album a score of 9.5 out of 10 and said as the band's magnum opus, it single-handedly changed the face of alternative rock. That said, it's not just music, but a work of art. The Music Box gave it all five stars and said, Indeed, for all its melodramatic self-indulgence, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is one of the best double albums of new material to be released by anyone in a long time. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness earned the Smashing Pumpkins nominations in seven categories in the 39th Annual Grammy Awards, the second highest number of nominations that year. The group was nominated for Album of the Year, Record of the Year, Best Alternative Music Performance, Best Rock Performance by a Duo or a Group with Vocal, Best Hard Rock Performance with Vocal, Best Pop Instrumental Performance, and Best Music Video Short Form. The band won a single award for Best Hard Rock Performance with Vocal for Bullet with Butterfly Wings. It was the group's first. In 2000, it was voted number 76 in Colin Larkin's all-time Top 1000 albums. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness also ranked at number 14 on the 1995 Village Voice Paz and Job Critics Poll and 487 on Rolling Stone's 2003 list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. On April 1st, 2019, Rolling Stone magazine ranked it 26th greatest grunge album of all time. In 2015, Spin included it in their list of the 300 best albums of 1985 to 2014. The album was also included in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Happy Anniversary Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Please make sure to check out my other shows happen in the 90s every Thursday with my buddy Matt G, as well as our sister show, Crushgasm, every Wednesday with Kendra. Y'all be cool. Have a Coke and smile. Peace.